We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Greetings, and welcome back to another exciting edition of the Fifth Column Podcast. Edition isn't quite right. I am no. all screwed up on the time. <laughs> it's Thanksgiving Eve. We've had a, a smattering of Thanksgiving miracles. We wanted to make certain to get a podcast in as a result of that. I am Camille Foster, joined by Matt Welch, Michael Moynihan. I am recording from, from Virginia. Feels like the old COVID go. days um, when I used to be in this bunker recording with you guys remotely. Um, but there's no pandemic. Instead, there are good things happening. Sam Altman managed to get his job back. The Israelis and Yay, Hamas Sam Altman have, got uh, his job back. Have, uh, some sort of a peace, a temporary armistice of sorts, uh, a humanitarian pause, if you will. Sounds like <clears throat> Putin might be considering uh, an end to the conflict in Ukraine, or at least uh-huh. something like that yeah, has been reported. We'll see. And uh, <laughs> we've discovered that the bubonic plague isn't just deadly and terrible it's also racist, racist. that was the so, ra- most racist plague ever there are plenty of things for us to talk about this did week. you see and how they for- proved that was racist by the way um i did see skull yes, measuring that- <laughs> they measured skulls <laughs> literally <laughs> measured some skulls <laughs> they measured mm-hmm. uh, 150 ancient bones um, they had to this, be racist to figure out that it was racist <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's perfect it's- Certainly one of those situations where the, the headlines seem to indicate something that the story, or at least the underlying study, barely proves. Well, <laughs> let, if we're going to start with this one, first of all... Um, we, we, don't it's, it's, we, we don't have to. We don't have to. We don't need to say more than so we, But we just should tell people what this is. And <laughs> yes. I just want to point out that, yes, this is like the old COVID days. And the reason... It doesn't actually bring me back that far. It was because a while, like probably a couple of weeks ago, I was like doing the, you know, the, the ritual hard drive cleaning. There's like a lot of like screenshots of like mm. stupid shit that people said that I s- sent to you guys. And there was a screenshot that I, I'll send it to you guys. It was from early COVID days. And you look like fucking James Harden. You've got like this beard and <laughs> it's, you're like absolutely insane afro. Wow. I don't know. Yeah, you're like 70 pounds overweight. It doesn't make any sense. But that was Camille back then. So he, you, you don't look like that now. Um, the hardened beard is gone. Thank fucking God. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all's better. But that story, just so we know people are t- we're talking about, yeah. there was a story in the BBC, BBC that said, um, what was the headline? It was like the Black Plague was racist or something. New study not, shows. Not because that- it was called the Black Plague. It's the, New study it's the shows African-American that plague. Bubonic plague hit uh, black women hardest. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they were like, we looked at the bones, and it looked like they really worked hard back then. It was just an amazing piece of journalism. And as a lot of people pointed out, that the headline was not justified by the material contained there within in the story. So yeah. Although I, I don't know that the study authors are particularly bright. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're they're eager and happy for this. This is kind of what they were what they were doing with their time. Certainly, a great great evidence. Um, okay, okay. Sorry, the, sorry. I got I gotta interrupt. Uh, this is the yeah. headline. It's even it's even better. Yeah. <laughs> Black women most likely to die in medieval plague. Museum of <laughs> London says. <laughs> that's that's. I think this is an updated story too. They've um they've updated it, but uh, yeah, that's for, for some reason I don't think there were any plague. Maybe like two or something, but yeah, they're more likely to die in the plague. 
Um, but yeah, there's no evidence of this, by the way. Um, and then I love that there's a lot of sentences like, well, no population figures for black women in London have been recorded, the paper added. <laughs> like, <laughs> we don't even know if there's anyone there. But, uh, you know, just, just in case. Anyway, Medieval. So that's the, that's the, is, the best That's story. like, you know, that's early. Yeah, that's early. Well, I mean, it's, it's certainly the case that any notion of blackness as a codified, well-defined race, uh, not really a thing, but whatever, doesn't yeah. matter. Um, still evidence of, quote, devast- devastating effects of, uh, quote, uh, pre-modern structural racism. Um, was the quote in the essay, which is just utter nonsense. How how, <laughs> how, ac- how accurate do you think this sentence is? The paper said that from 1336 to 1584, very specific numbers, yeah, by the way, very, very near, specific. nearly 18,000, quote, foreigners had come to London from India, Greece, Iceland, and mainland Europe. So like... The 1800 could be like 17, 18,000 could be 17,580 French people <laughs> and like seven Icelandic people, but it doesn't say anything about Africa. It doesn't make any way. sense. It doesn't, doesn't make, make any sense. sense. No. I like, I like how they're rightly uh, classifying as Greeks of just being swarthy. <laughs> yeah. That's a different race. Yeah. Come on. Uh, no, uh, this Greeks. newer version of the uh, piece took out some of the more ridiculous things, but there's quotes about how, you know, we looked at their bones and um, it looks like they worked really hard. <laughs> yeah, because it was 1380. I mean, what do you what do you think? They had like an incredible labor union that was like you get 10 Wait, weeks off a year. They didn't even have iPhones. No access, no access to the internet. Uh, no, no Grubhub. Outrageous. Outrageous. Oh my God. They oh worked God. more than 40 hours a week. No weekends I, off. I want to point out that my daughter knows that I'm recording a podcast right now, which is why she's bombarding me with like, can you please accept me downloading this app? Because she knows I'm not going to look at it and just press yes. So, oh, good. I don't know what that app is. You have to she's... just name the apps as they go. So we can all yeah. have like a warning of what not to do as a parent. Better not be TikTok. Yeah. It's so you can take pictures. It's an app so you can take pictures just like the year 1998. I don't even know what that means, but nope. <laughs> That's it. A- that's what she just said. Rejected. Correct. Yeah, I just said sure. Huh. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> I don't give I don't give a shit. I'm the worst father. I got drunk with her at, at lunch today, too. I didn't mean Sorry, to. Sorry, what? What do you mean drunk with her? Well, we went to an Israeli restaurant because we're Zionist psychos. Uh okay. no, actually, because we were just happened to be next to this really good restaurant in the city. And um, yeah, I got like a couple of three or four uh, beverages at, at lunch. <laughs> but but did she lot. also I just, like, did she also get drunk? That's that's the headline. No, I got drunk with her. She was there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, not like we both got drunk. <laughs> but but um, yeah, that was so a, you that four was... bagged it on, uh, uh, mm-hmm. on a lunch with your twelve year old. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> right. She was a lot of fun too. We were just ripping on people. It was really funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I did. I did actually say to my daughter, like, <laughs> "Oh no, I'm not joking." I was like, "Do you? Is it?" Do you think the waitress is hot? Because I kind of think she's hot. Oh no! And she was like, you know, she has really she because she had very she had very full thick hair, and she was like, yeah, no, she agreed to that. She had thick hair. She was she was quite attractive. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I just wanted to run that by my daughter just to make sure yeah. that she knew that I was drunk. <laughs> just like bookmark this for future therapy bills. <laughs> oh, you, this this Session. doesn't even scratch the top one hundred. <laughs> Not even close. 
<laughs> well, well, Moynihan, since, since you're in such a jovial mood, it might be good yeah. to just start with um, your old friend, Sam Altman. Great guy. I know you love, just a respect, fucking, and admire. I do. He's just a pal. I just feel like <laughs> close, really close to him. It's been it's been an extraordinary couple of days. What what I'm sure you've seen reported, and we won't we won't unpack everything here, but it's pretty consequential when what is almost certainly by any reasonable standard the most high profile company in the most uh, uh, the the bleeding edge of the sort of tech industry. Certainly, the the place that has generated the most investment dollars, or at least attracted the most investment dollars. Uh, over the course of the last two years, like the AI space, um, OpenAI in particular, and Saul, Sam Altman, all names that people have come to to know uh, pretty hate. well. <laughs> and, and in the space in the space of several days, uh, we discovered that overnight, the CEO of that most consequential company that has attracted so much money from massive companies and many VC firms um, can lose its CEO. Because the board just decides that they don't really like him anymore. Um, they I don't blame him. A really yeah. pointed, pointed statement suggesting they can't, they can't trust him because he's been dishonest, but are very vague on the details. Within the space of a couple of days, he goes from fired. Um, he's fired. Everyone in the industry, including their biggest partner, Microsoft, is very, very confused. They try to hire him back the next day. He kind of refuse, refuses or at least lays out terms that the board won't accept. Um, and within 24 hours more, um, members of the board are being fired. He's reinstalled as CEO, and the new board members are being uh, announced uh, at a pretty astonishing clip. And it seems that Sam Altman is now back in control of this company. It's, it's not like a quite fucking sure. Latin American country. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not quite like, clear like that there's seven any opposition coups in now. an afternoon. It's yeah. totally insane, and and all of this seems to be due to um, the unique weirdness of OpenAI's corporate structure, which yeah. had both a for-profit arm that was responsible for running um, ChatGPT's the ChatGPT uh, side of the business, the the for-profit side of the business, and then a non-profit structure which is supposed to ensure. That and the for-profit structure actually works for, I guess, the nonprofit structure, which is supposed to ensure that they build um, AI that is well aligned with human thriving, and not <laughs> yeah. going to kill us all. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's. And the that's argument much was was that he didn't think it was going to kill us all, and he Enough. was he was, <laughs> he was like <laughs> he was like kind of like blithe about it and everything. But here's the thing: Sam Altman is. Worse than Pol Pot. He's a, a monster and he should be arrested and beaten to death like the Khmer Rouge did to their enemies. What are your uh, what are your what is your evidence for this claim, Moynihan? He was a dick to me, so fuck him. <laughs> um full full stop. Like full stop. That's it. Yeah. Um but the weird thing is I actually am kind of on his side, but he's he he has the emotional intelligence of like a disabled three-year-old. So he can't, he didn't know that I was on his side. I was like trying to be on his side, but I think he saw me as like some sort of horrible, like libertarian or something. Cause he referred to himself as very left-wing and economics and everything. Mm. Um, but the thing about it is I, I kind of generally agree with him. I don't, I don't actually think that um, this stuff is, is as worrisome as people think it is. But the important point in this is that a long time ago on this show, Camille was very bullish on ChatGPT, he was like, this is very cool, et cetera. So I started using it. 
Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I'm, I don't know if I trust the other ones that are like Bing. Microsoft has one. Um, Bard, which is the the um, the one Google from Google, offering. and Alphabet. then X has one now called what is it, Grok or something that, yes. uh, that that Elon Musk has uh, produced. The thing about it is that the worst one of these by leaps and bounds, the worst is ChatGPT. Really? <laughs> I, I mean, it's unbelievable how useless it is. Really? I know it's really good for I lots of things. That's no, 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 no. I, I'm going to give people some assignments here. <laughs> okay. Ask it any fucking question that has any sort of political bent at all. And it gives you 400 lines about how you shouldn't judge people and stuff. It's constant. <laughs> it's like, j- does, does Hamas steal babies? And it's like, well, you got to understand that it's pretty bad to be. And say, like, no, 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 I just want to know how many babies they stole. Give me a number. But you go to Bard and Bard is like, mm, it loves stealing babies 48 it's like nose right away so i don't get i just i think it's kind of useless when i try to use it for the things i know it's really cool that it can write computer code and all this stuff and i know there's mm-hmm, a lot of mm-hmm. i think it's they're very th- capable they're throttling a lot of its brain um so i, I just I, every time i ask it something that i know it has the answer to it just won't it won't give it up it's constantly but the bard one i think is better i just okay. i have better luck with it yeah. Can okay. you and also you describe- I don't know if I said this before. Sam Altman is a total piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, that's so continue. You, actually, you haven't made that clear you, at all. Um, like, yeah, uh, Moynihan, you've talked about how, at least among the three of us, how you've used some of this stuff to actually edit the podcast, like to like fix bad audio. Which one is? Oh those? no, 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 that's not oh, no. no. That's yeah, different. It's, it's a different thing. AI thing. But um, it's a yeah, different I, AI. Actually, okay. It's funny. I did that on the Sam Altman audio of this. I put a couple clips up on 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 Instagram and the, the audio was kind of like, mm, there's a lot of background noise and I uploaded it um, to Adobe, uh, Adobe AI, which has this incredible ability to clean up bad audio. And it's really phenomenal. Like if you, you have to pay attention to it though, because it, it, it does some weird things sometimes it's not perfect, but sometimes it just makes really shitty audio. But basically if I were Sennheiser, if I were sure any of these microphone companies, I'd be kind of nervous because you don't really need great microphones anymore because mm-hmm. a shitty microphone, you can upload it and it comes out sounding like studio quality. It's really impressive. So that kind of AI stuff is really good. The other stuff that I'm really impressed with is um, video stuff of up resing, um, like bad resolution, old stuff, making it look like 4K, which mm-hmm. it has all sorts of impressive like AI algorithms that can fill in you know, colors and kind of, mm-hmm. and make it, make it, um, you know, something that's like 720p feel like it's 4k, you know, and that's, that, that stuff's really interesting too. But as far as so, like the brain, I mean, some of it I'm, I'm impressed with some of it. I'm not at all. So Camille, I'm, I'll, I'll play the, the dumb guy here. Cause it's not art. It's not an act. Um, uh, uh but <laughs> like, why is, uh, open AI and chat GPT considered to be the industry leader? What are they doing that is so obviously already better or more interesting or more worthy to bet on than other companies to the extent to which, to which you know the answer to that question? Well, yeah. I mean, there's several reasons. I mean, one, they've got a massive lead with respect to customers who have signed up for the service and who are paying for the service. By some measures, this is supposed to be or has been described as the, the most successful launch of a consumer product in like human history. Um, just really? the volume of people who are on the service, who are using the service, um, and at this point are also paying for the service. Um, and they're using it, it to play or they're using it to solve a problem? 
Well, it's not clear how everyone is using it. I, I'm a paying subscriber. I use it for work in a bunch of different ways. I find it to be generally more useful than the most of the uh, competing offerings. Moynihan, that's my own perspective here, but perhaps I'm biased. Why but, you uh, can, you, can you explain to me how you use it? <laughs> um, I can. Uh, there are a bunch of different ways, largely for, for research, um, also for just like everyday reading of the news. Um, it's probably the, the most frequent use case. I will take articles that I come across. I shove them into um, uh, ChatGPT with a prompt that I've designed. And the prompt is a question that you ask. Um, and my prompt essentially says, summarize this for me. Uh, give me the thesis. Highlight the, the three main points in, a bu in bullet form. And the last thing it will ask, I'll ask it to do is um, give me a summary of the conclusion and uh, formulate two questions based on details that might have been left out of the article. And it'll give that to me. It, it also, the instructions force it to be pretty compact. And I will read that before I dive in and read the whole article. And it's often a really useful way to get oriented, especially to something really, really long. Um, so to have uh, essentially an assistant that I can rely upon to give me mostly competent summations of technical things that are really long is very valuable um to have it help me do research in a bunch of other ca contexts can be have you had really it make up quotes for you yet this absolutely happened. yeah yeah the hallucinations constant. happen well, but i'll so tell you constant with me i don't I'll know tell why you, i don't know if you if you are using the the new model if you're if you're using 3.5 primarily but three point with three and 3.5 i actually saw the hallucinations a lot more frequently i do not see them nearly as frequently now but it may also have something to do with the fact that I'm not searching for, for facts in it. Um, and to the extent I am getting facts from it, I always am asking for sources and scrutinizing it to make certain that it's right. But the incredible thing is, do you ever do this thing when you're like, no, that's not true? And you're like, you're right. It is not true. It's like, yes. this happens. All, it's yeah, so yeah. weird. I've had it's it like, happen. well, how but, do you not know this? Because you ask it a question mm -hmm. that is so off the wall. And it will give you these weird, it's like, um, you know, did Malcolm X like lacrosse? <laughs> it was just like, and they'll be like, Malcolm X once said, lacrosse is the greatest game. I'm like, what? That's not true. And then, then the next one's like, you're right. It's not true. I'm like, what I is actually, this I actually used thing? One real world example. I used it for, um, to prep for an interview with Jane Goodall, um, which mm. is actually featured in the latest episode mm -hmm. of Dispatches from the Well, which just yeah, dropped right. uh, yesterday. So you can go watch that. It features Terry Crews. And Jane Goodall, and it, it is about only, the stories only one that we tell ourselves about the world. <laughs> oh my God. The stories we tell this, uh, ourselves about the world and Don't ourselves. tell her about ChatGPT. She'll write another book. Stop it. <laughs> she's, she's a goddess. Um, she, so, is, I, so is her research assistant. But, but what, I, <laughs> what I asked it, I asked it some question about Jane Goodall and apes, and it, it invented this quote. About, yeah, yeah, Jane, yeah, yeah. about Jane Goodall um, <laughs> explaining that she'd seen chimps murder people. And as what? I, and it, it, yeah, totally. Yeah. And I was so astonished. What's In amazing, 1985, though, Jane Goodall said, <laughs> fuck them apes. <laughs> no, it's crazy. And I, I still have the screenshots of this. Um, and I, I said, where is this quote from? And it gave me a, it gave me a book. Like, yeah. And it said, go look in this book. The quote is in there. And the I Turner went and I Diaries. <laughs> Could not find this quote anywhere. And I kept interrogating it. And eventually, Moynihan, it did exactly what you said. Oh, you're right. Oh, you're right. It didn't, yeah. it did, not only did it not appear in that quote, 
um, that book, it never, this never appeared anywhere. Yeah. And then that was it. There's no It said lol and signed off. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll tell you what happened though. Bard gave me the same imagined quote and the same uh, weird result where it gave me a different book as the potential source and then acknowledged that this did not happen. Um, so, you know, that was over the summer. That was, I, I guess, three or yeah. 3.5. Um, but it's amazing that both Bard and uh, ChatGPT gave me the same hallucination. Don't That's be, it again. Don't be the new one, Bard. I do not see the hallucinations there. I'm just saying. Um, I but know. I don't know. I don't know if people want uh, a, to deep, diss Bard. <laughs> a deep um, dive on, on how I'm probably, using probably not. AI. No. But well, I mean, is, it is it's, valuable. It's helpful in for the lay person. Those of us we're trying to figure out why you people won't shut up about this story. <laughs> so like we're trying to figure out, okay, yeah, maybe they're going to turn us all into paper clips or whatever, but I don't think it's really, that's going to happen. So like, why does yeah. this matter? Um, and so understanding why, how people use it and why this is a big company is helpful in that regard. Yeah. Look, I've, I've heard, I've heard a very prominent person suggest that, that AI is likely the most consequential technological innovation since since the internet not the smartphone the internet um that's a big deal but it also took a long time for the internet to become what it is today and i think there's very good reason to think that we're perhaps a little ways removed for some of the most monumental changes that ai will bring about but the speed of the pace of innovation has been astonishing the number of uses i have for it um that i'm able to to take advantage of are, are pretty are constantly surprising to me and it's only been like a year and a half that most of us have had uh, direct access to these tools. So I'm, I'm very interested to see what happens in two years. But I think it's, it's, worth, um, it's worth taking a, a look at just the, the weirdness of the situation here. I mean, you've got this board that throws Sam Altman like out on his head. And it seems to be, it seems to be a function of decisions that were made uh, deliberately by Sam and others to set up a company that had two competing objectives, one of which was explicitly for-profit, grow the company, and the other was supposed to be untethering the, the noble pursuit of building AI from the corrupting interests of greed and capital. And I don't know that firing your CEO because the product is too successful, too profitable, and too popular is is like a is a very practical uh way to run a company so my suspicion is that those things will change in the future um but if sam made any mistake uh in addition to being nasty to moynihan once when he interviewed him um it was probably allowing something like this to exist in the first place it's a bizarre bizarre corporate structure um especially for what was the hottest tech or what is the hottest tech company um, in the country, by in the world, perhaps. You know, one of the weird things about this is that there's been so much reporting on him. And I posted these clips and then I made a, you know, whatever the, the little post, the text went along with it was because when I did this, there was literally at that point, I have a screenshot of it, three stories, uh, uh you know, above the scroll, as it were, mm-hmm. on the New York Times homepage about Sam, three stories about Sam Altman. Um, and the weirdest thing about this um, is that not a single one of these stories, none of the stories that I've seen have mentioned that he has been accused of sexually abusing his sister, 
which I don't believe at all because she seems to be kind of erratic. I've just, I looked into it. And, you know, as much as I'd love to accuse a guy that I hate (laughs) of something, I uh, won't do that because it doesn't seem at all credible. But in the past, credibility hasn't really mattered that much when it comes to certain individuals. And, you know, these things um, are out there. If you Google them, there's certain, certain websites and people have reported on them. But um, it is very, very odd that um, these accusations haven't made it into any any of the reporting. Cause so what do you what do you think accounts for what you seem to be describing as kind of a reasonable? I, I don't know. I don't. I really don't know because I think that the the accusations seem unreasonable and kind of crazy. Right. So, but, so they're, um, they're being sort of reasonable. There's some reasonable uh, discretion on the part of some, maybe. some editorial, some editors and journalists here. Maybe we're at a point where people actually look at the accusations to see if they um, hold any water before they I actually put them into I don't believe I don't, that's generally I don't, true. <laughs> I don't believe that's generally true either. So I thought it was very, very strange that um, despite all of this reporting about him that this happened before he was fired too. It's not as if mm-hmm. this came out um, when he was fired. I mean, I saw one thing online and I can't remember where it was. It might've been even on the Y Combinator that they have like a, a kind of Reddit style thing where people post stuff. And I saw it posted there that like, you know, did he get fired because he was accused of sexually abusing his sister? And I'm like, I don't think so. And cause that happened before. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's credible but, in any but, way. The, but the way that the board statement was, it was impossible to to not speculate pretty wildly about what might have happened. I mean, Correct, the original yeah. statement was very short, and it just says insanely, like he 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 was like wildly dishonest, and we have no confidence in him. He's, well, he's that's reached what, our trust. Yeah, and, that's and I it. thought no yeah. details at all. And it so wasn't just him that, that got fired, though. Also, is the president, Greg Brockman, as well. So yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, if, yeah. if it's just mm-hmm. Altman being a weirdo, or as one of our commenters said, uh, a, a salamander <laughs> on cocaine, that was the, yeah. the visual that he's giving off in the one hand interview. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then, uh, then he, he does. He does look like a puppet, like a like a weird doll that was made. In you know, he just has this like wide eyes and this really weird hat on that's kind of pre shaped <laughs> brim on it. Um, but no, no, I thought because when I saw that statement, I wondered if that was like, oh, did they do an internal investigation of this thing? It's the only thing I had heard yeah. recently about him was that, and maybe he was dishonest about it. Then I'm like, well, that doesn't really make a ton of sense because you go back and look at some of these allegations and you're like, this doesn't really make a ton of sense. I mean, this person does seem yeah. a little unhinged. I think so there I has been a, a vibe so. shift though on our pal, Ethan Strauss, former guest, this uh, great House of Strauss uh, mm-hmm. a publication and podcast on Substack had a pretty good piece this week talking about the vibe shift in terms of the kind of fanatical way that professional sports leagues were talking about politics in 2020 and just yeah. like, you know, messages in every end zone and and on uh, on uniforms and all this kind of stuff. And the media associated with them were also doing it. And it's just kind of like it's not really there anymore. Like yeah, three years true. later, something has changed. And, and Ethan's a pretty good observer about uh, life uh, and, and these kind of trends without uh, you know having hard numbers to measure it. But I think there's something to that. I think there's been a Me Too vibe shift as well. And one of the things that's interesting about that today, right, November 22nd, the uh, 60th anniversary of uh, the Grassy Knoll, 
um, uh, murdering yeah. uh, JFK and the spasm of right-wing uh, uh, mafia <laughs> Cuban violence, <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, whatever happened, um, that uh, today is also the deadline of a New York law uh, whose name has a great, uh, it's the New York Adult Survivors Act. Um, it's the deadline to make all your sexual assault allegations. This is a law what? that was passed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So today, legally, or like in various court filings, Jamie Foxx, Axl Rose, uh, I don't know who who else uh, has been uh, accused of sexual assault today. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, Jamie, Jamie Foxx was? Jimmy, Jimmy Iovine as well, shocked and baffled by new claims against him. Yeah, seriously, do a Google news search on sexual assault in New York. Uh, two filings. hours ago, from t- for two hours ago, TMZ, I saw the the Axel Rose one. Uh, Jamie Foxx sued for sexual assault in New York restaurant. Jamie Foxx is being accused of a rooftop sexual assault that allegedly happened eight years ago in New York City. Yeah, at Catch NYC and Roof. I don't even know so what wait, so are. what is what is this law? What this law the- basically, uh, and I might be, uh, uh, you know, uh, paraphrasing, not in perfect accuracy, but the gist of it was in the wake of Donald Trump and of Me Too, um, the statute of limitations was kind of extended and sort of given a deadline, and so people oh. were said like, okay, you know, you got. We, we trust or believe or feel like that uh, victims have gotten screwed over time, bad choice of words, um, and, and should have more <laughs> of an, uh, sorry, I screwed up. I, I wanted to acknowledge that. Uh, do we, do we edit I, that? No, we don't. This is, this is, a, this is an uh, you, honest what, I, man. I'm sorry, I'm about, English language. I was, I was reading about Jamie Foxx being a perv. Uh, supposedly. I must've missed it. I missed what man said. Uh, yeah, it's fine. So it's, um, so it stays in. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly it, it stays in uh no it's I, I, for whatever reason yeah. it was let's extend the statute of limitations but also throw a deadline on it and so today mm-hmm. today is the day that that deadline is producing all of this and i don't <laughs> think that tomorrow jamie fox loses his career or his reputation yeah. i don't mm, think no. axel rose <laughs> to the extent that people think about axel rose anymore um is, is it's suddenly going to be all over for him uh, and if this is three years ago that might be different. Um, and I think it's because we've seen enough of these cases. Um, the traditional skepticisms have rolled back in and we've seen, um, you know, people kind of, uh, being opportunistic in their accusations and having these against the deadline, the literal deadline today. Um, yeah, yeah this Jimmy Iovine was filed in a New York court today, November 22nd. Um, wow. Yeah, that, that, um, and, uh, yeah, there's, there's three or four of them. That's bizarre. Up. And by the way, the Axel Rose one is, um, someone accusing him of sexual assault in 1989. Um, so guilty. So obviously <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's just like, there's no way uh, that's not true. Yeah. Like heavy metal band backstage. And, and it also, by the way, I, I read the, Story, but it also included um, Ricky Rachtman. Do you remember him? Who was the host of Headbangers Ball? Oh, on wow. MTV. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. R- Ricky Rachtman was apparently in the room. So, um, I mean, I August know, 89 is soon. when they're opening for the Stones at the Coliseum along with Living Color and in a four show set, which I saw that basically broke the spirit of Guns N' Roses. Um, it's yeah. just, it, it, read any well, history. Well, anybody. About the- if anybody has um, um, heavy metal uh, stories from 1989, you've got two hours and 30 minutes left. Because uh, then it's over. Get it in there that. under the wire. Under the wire. 
1989. By the way, can I ask uh, you guys, I don't know if you've seen this. Um, um, uh, I, I did talk to um, our friend Coleman about this. Um, have you seen this documentary that is about George Floyd and it's called like the, the fall of Minneapolis or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I haven't um, seen it, I but I've seen, it. I've seen talk about it. Um, which has been mostly in right of center circles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, as as it would be. Yeah, uh, yeah. I know our friends uh, uh, over at Smoke 'em If You Got 'em podcast discussed that on their latest episode, and some other places. It's starting to creep into the kind of uh, uh, centrist Substack sphere a little bit. <laughs> but I uh, and and making making people is who, that is that where we are? I don't know. Uh-huh. I, <laughs> it, it, I'm trying way, hard not to say IDW over here. Don't it's on me. it's on yeah. Rumble, and it was posted seven days ago. It has 1.42 million views. So I mean, it's getting That's a lot not of much, actually. Well, I mean, it's f- yeah. for being on I Rumble. Just expected which it to is, be more. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's on YouTube. Maybe they mm-hmm. just didn't put it there because they knew it would be demonetized or something. Mm-hmm. But um, I watched the first five minutes of it, mm-hmm. and the first five minutes of it, there's a um clip of the george floyd um interaction which i hadn't seen which is body camera and it was the cop trying to get him out of the car um and it is i that even that was sort of revelatory for mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. um the conversation well i mean the cop is not nice by the way he's like get the fuck here put your fucking hands on the fucking thing. and he's like really aggressive but george floyd well, is, well george screams i can't breathe over and over oh, again I, even I, before he was placed in the car <laughs> but, but definitely the most curious data point of the entire interaction is that, but the um, he's just like yelling lots of things about, you know, my mom just died. She had died like two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just saying all this stuff that just, just wasn't, wasn't true and kind of panicking and freaking out and like crying and saying, don't shoot me. And the guy's like, I'm not going to shoot you. And he's like, I've already <laughs> been shot by a cop. I think he says, which mm-hmm. was not all. He'd never been shot by a cop. And he's like, don't, I'm not going to shoot you. Just get your hands on the wheel and this whole, cause he looks like he's trying to do, you know, hide something, but that bit, and I, I haven't seen the film. I can't say if it's good or if it's bad, or if it's, you know, is revelatory in any other ways uh, than that. But just seeing that footage, I actually don't think I'd seen that, uh, mm-hmm. that original interaction because all it had been uh Chauvin uh, stuff that was filmed by the bystander and not the body cam stuff. But the one thing I find interesting, and I have not seen this, so I cannot say that this is true. I cannot say that it's not true. I, don't, I didn't even know that this was a possibility. But I think one of the arguments that is made is that he stand that Chauvin had his knee on his shoulder, um, according to a different angle from the body camera and not on his neck. That is seems to be one of the arguments that's made. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's true. But it's enough for me to like, okay, maybe I should watch this and see because, you know, so many of these things don't fall apart. And I'm not saying this is going to fall apart in any way. But, you know, more information comes out. Mm-hmm. And I- I'll give you one version of this that I came across the other week, which I told you about, Camille, when we were talking on the phone. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Matthias Reyes is the guy who confessed to the rape of the Central Park jogger. Um, he was already in prison. Um, You're going all the way in today, Moynihan. Well, no, I'm going in on this one. But th- no, no, this is a but but this I found really fascinating that I couldn't believe I didn't know this. So he confesses to this. Uh-huh. And there is a DNA match. I mean, this happened in 89, so DNA was not um, you know, something that they were using in a widespread way at the time. There is a DNA match. But the incredible thing that I didn't know is that Reyes's lawyer um has written about this and said. 
my client has confessed to this and it leads to the exoneration of the Central Park Five. Um, he says, but it doesn't mean that these guys weren't there. And I think that they were, um, which I thought was really fascinating. I didn't know that that the lawyer for Reyes claims, um, and I think he wrote a book about it, like one of these self-published mm-hmm. things, uh, that that if not all five, maybe some of the five were there. And I haven't dug deeply into this, but I just came across it. And I was like, holy shit, that seems kind of like a, an interesting data point that the and lawyer d- for the guy that has confessed said, well... Yeah, he was there, but they 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 probably were too. Do they do they deny that they were there that night at this point, uh, or do they, they do they not even get asked about? Yeah, it? well, they didn't. They they deny that they were there at that, but they don't deny that they were in the park mm-hmm. uh, for the quote unquote wilding, which is really another interesting thing. Is that um, there's they've said um, recently after the um, documentary that came out that Ken Burns and his daughter did. That um, in in some discussion I saw, I just had it on the background. These five guys being interviewed on stage, and he says, you know, mm-hmm. wilding was this kind of concept that was created by the newspapers, and it's the kind of racist concept, and blah blah blah, and you know the tabloids, and um, they actually it's not true at all. Yeah, like they they say it in their interview. <laughs> please, they use the word wilding. We we were just wilding. Well, there's no D wilding. Um, wilding. Yeah. Oh, like wilding out. Yeah. And yeah. that's where it comes, that's where it comes from. And I just, I was like, Oh, that's, I didn't, this is very, yeah. very odd. So there's a lot of odd things about it. And, mm-hmm. um, but that Reyes thing, I couldn't believe. I was like, how does nobody know this? It was like one review of a self-published book that his Reyes's lawyer wrote was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My client did it, but so did these guys. I was, I don't know if that's true. I don't know what, what to make of it, but I just thought it was really interesting. Yeah. I think Moynihan's being blue pilled. Uh, as we speak, right? What now. is the blue pill? What is blue pill? What is the blue pill? You love the cops or something? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, right. I think I was, well, the, the trouble is, there's another blue pill, and no one is really gonna. Yeah. What's the blue pill? That's the is, Viagra. Oh, that's the hard on oh. pill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't need that. I don't think money. I need the op- I need the opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> Calm well, yeah, down. The, what is it? Calm you down. Priapism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, the the cop blue pill. I I think I took when I first found out that my grandfather was a Massachusetts State cop. So, well, yeah. When I was really young, I was like, oh, that seems like a cool job. And now, you know, fast forward. Nope, <laughs> not a cool job. So. Oh man, um, I don't know how we got here, um, but you know what else I discovered today? I was today years old when I first saw um, the Cher Half Breed album cover, which yeah is a bit of a yeah. revelation. It's a life changer. That is very very interesting. I mean, She's one, dressed as an Italian American, right? Yeah, which <laughs> it, <and> it, <laughs> who happens to be wearing a headdress. It also has a song by the name Half Breed, which mm-hmm. again I was not great. aware of. Top ten um, hit, yeah. But it's very interesting. So, fun facts. Things um, yeah, you can't go wrong if your name rhymes with fat belch to uh, do Google image searches of uh, Cher in the 70s. That's it. That's 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 the whole tweet. <laughs> she was technically perfect in the entire deck. Yeah. She's going to be, we're, uh, uh, this is Thanksgiving Eve. She's the, uh, the grand marshal of the Macy's parade tomorrow. Is she oh, really? Is that, right? yeah. She has like a 25-year-old boyfriend too, which is awesome. God love her. God yeah. love her. She's like the Al Pacino of ladies. She has like uh, a, a 25. And, and also, by the way, um, was it the Do You Believe in Love video where she's on the Destroyer? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 
And she has like straddling a thong it. on. Yeah, she's like straddling. Yes. It was like a. Wasn't she like ad- fifty-two at that? Point? She she was like sixty wrong with that. and was like it was like an advertisement <laughs> for the first Iraq War. <laughs> oh my god! I yeah, recently that was- saw that that clip from the from the Simpsons where um, Bart was in a boy band. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Join the navy. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yes. Join yeah. the navy. It's backwards. Um, join commercial. the navy. Yeah. <laughs> They're a boy band. Oh it's it's kind of like a CIA encounter magazine thing. It's like this, <laughs> the CIA is paying the boy band to to make navy propaganda, which is very funny. <laughs> Eva etnia. I think yes, is what they were saying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Eva join the navy. It might work on me. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit of uh, Israel Palestine. Just as Moynihan leaves the building, Israel, I will Hamas. I will uh, I will point out like he's going off to get another drink. Maybe, maybe he's up going to get something loaded up. Um, but we should it. talk a little bit about this because we do have uh, what many people have been pleading for for some time: a, a humanitarian pause. There's supposed to be um, some sort of uh, release of hostages um, on a particular priority. Some American hostages are expected, anticipated to be a part of that swap as well, and aid will be delivered. Um, it is anyone's guess how long um, this pause lasts. Um, these things tend to get violated uh, pretty quickly. Perhaps it's already been violated in some way, shape, or form. Can't be. Um, but it's going to start on Friday. Yeah. Is this is. Yeah, it looks oh, like it's going to start on Friday. Yeah, yeah they postponed like it by 24 hours already. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they Still details more. to be ironed out, yeah. So yeah. I, I wonder if you all think this is a clear indication of, of progress being made here, if there, we may be somewhat closer to a resolution. My suspicion is that you're probably not terribly optimistic because we've seen this a bunch before, but is there anything particularly noteworthy, um, any meaningful developments here that you think may uh, actually merit some discussion my god yes i mean there'll be if if all happens there'll be 50 of the people who were forcibly and brutally um kidnapped on october 7th sometimes in cases after watching their parents be murdered by mm-hmm. gleeful fucking lunatics um they're going to be um set free um and that's great uh we i want there to be 240 of those and not 50. Um, and, uh, but that's, that in itself is fantastic. And it's a reason why people are putting those flyers up on trees and light poles to begin with is to remind, um, people, including the, um, moral idiots who are tearing them down that there are human beings at the end of this, you know, there, we had a whole, remember the whole, like, uh, uh, bring back our girls plaintive like pictures that everyone took and little videos yeah. and Michelle Obama yeah. would look at the camera Boko Haram everyone like forgot about all that stuff immediately but it was it while was they the, were still kidnapped they forgot about them yeah yeah forgot about them um, uh, it's terrible when 240 people um, are kidnapped under horrific horrific circumstances so to get 50 of the of the kids and women I think are, are or kids and old maybe it is um, is uh, is terrific. I'm sure Israel is um, trying to, or the Israeli public is arguing. It turns out they argue amongst each other um, pretty loud, always in the streets and such, um, over the cost of it, because you're going to be freeing up 
um, a lot of uh, Gaza residents who were arrested for acts of terrorism in, in some cases or um, uh, and et cetera. But those are supposed to be mostly women, I guess. And if there are, you know, and uh, young men, young they, they men. say teens, but they're people from like mostly 17 and 18. So um, I, and there's it, 150 it, of them. Yeah. I don't see it in terms of like, oh, the, 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 the end line is in sight because I don't think that is in sight. And I don't have, um, any particular faith that after a four day pause, there's going to be some big change, but the change of having 50 people freed is great. Um, and I suspect, um, and uh, this is me sounding hawkish, but I think I'm less hawkish than the two of you at this point, which is crazy. But I suspect that one of the <laughs> I reasons that's true. Uh, I don't know, dude. Uh, one of the reasons <laughs> that uh, that we're even here is that uh, Israel um, came in and um, and removed Hamas from running northern Gaza, where they were previously centered, and they, you know, um, I'm sure other. People in Israel wish that would have happened uh, faster and with more brutality, frankly. Um, but um, Hamas is not meaningfully in northern Gaza anymore, um, and that and and a lot of the senior leadership has been killed, and that might have tended to focus the attention there. But maybe Moynihan, that's another idea. No, I mean when Sinwar and people like that are killed, I'll be I'll be happy. But um, yeah, it's hard to tell who's been killed, of course, because you know the people that complained. Um, you know, the same people that are def defending Hamas, actually, um, and I mean, some of them are just defending Hamas. That's the sort of Finkelstein types is um, the people that were complaining that Ukraine was not releasing their body count. They were just saying how many Russians they had killed. And we had talked about this in the podcast a long time ago. They were just like keeping a very, very uh, under tight wraps how many Ukrainians had been killed um, in the first sort of three months of the war. They still don't really tell you very much about it. So we don't know. Um, and when those figures uh, of the number of dead in, in Gaza are released or you know, mentioned in media, I saw one the other day, I think it was in The Guardian, that now says 14,000. These numbers just keep going up and they don't um, say two things. This thing actually didn't say that it came from the Gaza Health Ministry. I think you should still say that. You should always say that. But they don't disaggregate the number of fighters uh, that have been killed. And a lot of those people are fighters. So they'll tell you how many children, but they won't tell you how many people are, are actually armed members of Hamas, members of Hamas leadership, et cetera. And why should we not trust those figures? This is the first thing I just want to say, get out of this out of the way. Well, obviously, because Hamas is a, a group of um, scumbag medieval liars. Um, but one of the things that we should remember was that regardless of the investigations into the quote-unquote hospital bombing and the projectile that hit the parking lot, and we don't know how many people were killed. There were some European intelligence agencies said maybe five, maybe 30. They didn't know. But keep yes. in mind that right after that thing happened, Hamas said 500 people died and mm -hmm. 300 of them were children. 500. They lied in, and got caught. One time, the, it's the, the one thing you could actually sort of prove, they got caught. And they said 500. So in if, the, if the actual amount was six or seven, let's do the math on that and then cut that figure down from 14, 13,000 to whatever it is, and then disaggregate from that the number of people who are Hamas fighters. I'm not saying in any way that lots of innocents aren't being killed. They are. That is on Hamas for invading Israel and in knowing that they cannot hold territory and that they are taking hostages 
in that they are trying to spark a regional war, trying to create tensions between Israel in Saudi Arabia and other partners in the Middle East that they've been actually getting a little closer to, and to you know maybe draw Iran and Iran's proxies like Hezbollah and now the Houthis in Yemen into this conflict. That's what they're trying to do, and they know the consequences of this. You know, people when they talked about Iraq. When they said, you know, America is responsible for everybody that died in Iraq. These are the same people who are basically on the side of the Palestinians now. They made this argument for years. They said they should have known this is what's going to precipitate in the in the region an enormous bloodletting. This is America's fault. But they don't seem to hold Hamas to the same standards. Mm. They don't say that that this is what they provoked. This is what they knew was going to happen. Um, they moved all that stuff out of those tunnels under Al Shifa, which we're seeing more video of. They're huge. They're enormous networks, and we're seeing this. But but they're, they're cool. They're, they're so I mean, they're, cool. Have they're really them? impressive. I mean, they're yeah. very very impressive. Some of them. But um, but as far as the the hostage exchange, keep in mind that there's a bad conversion rate always. Um, Eleven hundred people for uh, Gilead Shalit, um, which you know is a a thing that the Israelis do. Um, they cite kind of. Um, uh, Jewish law in a way that this is, you, you don't leave people behind. Um, in, in the book that I keep on mentioning, Ronan Bergman's book, A Rise and Kill First, there's a, an entire chapter on the attempt to find, get one dead body back from Lebanon of a, of a Israeli air force. They gave up enormous numbers of prisoners for a, a body. I mean, the person was not alive. This is how they do it. They know that. So every time this happens, they understand that the, the rate is pretty uneven. I saw Aaron Mate refer to um, the Israeli hostages. Uh, those are the 150 people that there are being exchanged for 50. It's 150 to 50. And some of those people have been, uh, um, you know, um, imprisoned for violent crimes. One woman that they mentioned whose face is deformed because she set off a, what was essentially a suicide bomb at a checkpoint mm -hmm. and, uh, and then demanded that the Israelis pay for her plastic surgery because her face was um, mostly uh, deformed by this Jeez. by this bomb. I mean, this is the this, this Sinwar thing, too. Sinwar was the man who is leading um, Hamas in Gaza, not the ones that are in Doha, the one that, that, that planned this massive um, pogrom was, you know, traded back to, to Gaza in the Shalit um, trade. That's where he came. He was in prison. And he was in prison for violent crimes and he almost died. And I've mentioned this probably 50 times, but he almost died because he had brain cancer. And then the Israelis saved him. Um, they, they operated on him, saved his life so he could go back and kill Jews. Uh, it's a very, very weird uh, situation they're in. But 150 people. But the, the, the terms of this is, you know, you have to do it. You just have to do it. And they know that you have to do it. That's why they take them. And I think the Ben Gavirs and these extremists, the Smotriches and these guys are nuts and they're trying to, to, um, to uh, derail this and they're yelling at the families when they're in a Knesset, uh, you know, telling their stories. It's really unseemly. But one of the things that is telling about this, it's not a humanitarian thing, this pause, nothing to do with the people of Gaza. They could give a shit about the people of Gaza. They've made that very clear over the years. And the more of them that die, the happier they are. And, and by the way, that's not me speculating. They've basically said that a number mm -hmm. of times. 
Um, one of the things that it's refer, is, referred to Palestinians as a nation of martyrs, a nation of martyrs. They want that, that is how they, their elected officials refer to them. Exactly. And, 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 and I use elected officials with uh, all of the, yeah, the qualifications caveats, yeah. that are appropriate here. One vote, one time. Yeah. yeah I mean, 15 years ago, 15 years ago. <laughs> but you know, the, the thing about this is that, the, yeah, the nation of Shahids that they determine who gets to be a Shahid, you don't. Um, but the, one of the things that, that you notice is a lot of, um, like sort of little caveats in this deal that don't, uh, look great for Israel because they're, they're on their back foot here. They want their people back. They want their children back. They want their old people back. I mean, remember there's one of these people, they released a video of this old woman in a wheelchair saying that, oh, we're being treated so horribly. She's dead now. Um, in Islamic Jihad, I think was the ones that they had to acknowledge and post something. Oh, she just died in custody. She's literally in a wheelchair giving this. You can find this video. It's a very sad video, but she's saying, Netanyahu, you're a killer. She's, you know, doing the 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 hostage video, right? And she's now dead. You cannot then they, exchange. Then they, she died as a result of a bombing or something like that? That's what they always say. That's what they yeah. always say. But there's, I mean, they found, you know, the soldier who was, you know, in Al-Shifa. They found her by Al-Shifa, and she was dead. And mm-hmm. she was young, and it didn't look like she was killed in the bombing. I think she was shot. But um, but she was brought all the way back to Gaza to, to be shot. But the one thing that you know that this is not about um, a humanitarian pause, um, and these humanitarian corridors, there's one going on right now, today, there's happened today, people like move out of these certain areas, um, is that the Israelis agreed to not fly UAVs or drones for four days. So they're going to come out of their spider holes. They're going to rearm and they don't want the Israelis to see where they're doing that. And, and it's a huge, huge, I mean, they're agreeing I mean, to they're that. Gonna, they're going to cheat on that. They're going to cheat on that. Like well, the Americans, no. the Americans have like the dopest shit. Like you can fly so high and get incredibly high resolution uh, images and they will uh, never, ever hear it yeah, or know like, that it was there. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. When you, no way. Yeah. <laughs> when you're, sh- when you're firing RPGs and you know, it says Allah is going to handle it. It's like, you know what? On our side, we've got shit in space. Like we have literal <laughs> stuff in space. So, you know, that, but that, I mean, it just shows you what they're looking for. And that's to, that's to, um, you know, reassess the military situation because, you know, a lot of people have said, um, and I don't know this because I'm not on the ground there, obviously, but a lot of people have said in Israel that the IDF, you know, after one of the greatest failures of Shin Bet and Mossad and IDF and all these people in a generation um, are doing amazingly well. And this has been going a lot faster and smoother than they thought it was going to go. Um, so that, I think, is probably one of the reasons that, that Hamas is willing to negotiate right now on this point. Including at Shifa, Al-Shifa Hospital, um, you know, I read from uh, any number of, of people who I might describe as skeptics of uh, Israel, um, charitably, uh, yeah. and <laughs> who were like, Israel just wants an excuse to... Um, to kill doctors and like babies and incubators. And, um, and that's, I'm, that's really not a mischaracterization. I I saw versions of that from many, many people. And, um, that's not what went down at, at Al Shiva hospital. It was a gigantic hospital at which, as we've now seen, has some pretty rad tunnels underneath, um, uh, uh, you know, without like completely vouching for every single claim that the IDF makes on the stuff that they find, but it's pretty hard to maintain the, uh, well, there's no tunnels under that hospital was there. Um, but there was very, uh, comparatively few casualties, 
um, in that operation, uh, which is kind of the opposite of the alleged malign intent of what they were doing. Hospital is still standing too, by the way. And had a lot of wires going down <laughs> onto the ground to keep things alight. Uh, the other uh, aspect of the uh, exchange, which is significant, I think, <laughs> especially if it happens, is that um, the Red Cross is supposed to have access to all existing prisoners. Yeah. Um, because right now, think about it, all of these families, including one mother whose story that I'm following because her kids, her two daughters are 15 and eight. Um, uh, so it's kind of easy for me to understand, uh, 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 the plight of that. And she has no idea. So all of these people don't, they don't have any proof of life. They're sitting there. Um, you sort of have assumption of death. Um, and as we saw previously that with that one father who actually at some point expressed, uh, like, uh, happiness that his kid had died and then discovered that the kid was still alive and he's all conflicted about happiness because the kid, you know, presumably was tortured. like tortured and mangled and stuff. It's horrible, horrible, horrible. Yeah. Um, but you have all of these people and especially, you know, right now as we record this, the ceasefire was, or the pause was supposed to happen sometime very, very soon, but then it got extended for another 24 hours. They're all living in limbo. They don't know who's dead and who's alive. So getting that sense of proof of life, uh, will be just a huge thing for uh, Israelis uh, going forward. By the way, it, it, this is also something that is never um, spoken about. I mean, we're talking about people ripping posters down and, you know, filming them and them losing their jobs and everything. And the people who are doing the ripping are not people that are confronting the fact that stealing babies is an amazing war crime. I mean, it is number one on the list of war crimes. You start stealing humans to negotiate them away. And then if you have problems with them, just killing them, I mean, mm -hmm. executing them, that level of work. And by the way, in, in just the comparison, there is no comparison. The people that are being released, they, oh, they're, it, you know, it reveals that they're, they're, they're holding children in, in Israeli jails. I mean, holding 17 and 18 year olds who are members of Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and various, you know, militant movements who've been caught and tried in courts. I'm sorry, you cannot sit around, as these people do, saying that nothing in Israel is democratic. This isn't real. There's no democracy. They didn't. Everything is a bizarro world when you have these conversations with people, because the courts of law in which, you know, Arabs serve as as judge uh, judges, I mean, Israeli Arabs, et cetera, um, that th these aren't sort of legitimate courts of law. I mean, it's it's insane on almost every level. There are people who are let off. There are people who get short sentences. There are people who get long sentences, just, just like a very normal kind of thing. You know, these are the same people that will not allow anyone to say the occupied territories did not include Gaza. Well, yes, it did because there was a, uh, or is a blockade. I mean, the Egyptians also had the blockade too. They started mm -hmm. their own blockade in 2006. And for the same reasons as Israelis did. And, you know, by the way, those are pretty porous blockades considering all the weapons they're finding. And the number of Israeli soldiers that are being killed by these weapons, they're coming into the country. And it's that's the blockade. It's like we don't occupy Cuba. There's a blockade that I disagree with on Cuba, but I don't disagree with them on, on Gaza because um, you understand what happens and what people in Gaza want to do. And you also lose sight of the main goal of Hamas. You always have to go back to it. And people yeah. tend for, to forget about this is the goal is not to push people out of the quote-unquote occupied territories. It's the elimination of their neighbor. 
And so, yeah, it's probably pretty important to make sure that things aren't flowing through your own country or coming out of the neighboring country that wants to destroy you. It seems like a very basic proposition to me. But anyway, I'm 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 happy that those people are coming home. That's all I can really say. Yeah, I suspect what what the what the least what the least stupid people who are making the uh, case against Israel um, would be likely to say is that the response is disproportionate, whether or not we want to have a conversation about proportionality and, and war now, you know, I'll leave up to you guys, but I'm fine bypassing that. Um, yeah, and that, all, that the original crime here, the original sin um, is you know, taking taking the native lands of the people in this in this region, um, and you know the Western uh, various Western powers getting involved in the region and helping to create Israel um, in there. Uh, that that displacement and subsequent displacements that took place after conflicts. Um, that that is the original sin, and that's the thing that we have to retreat back to. But I, I just don't think that that's particularly constructive. It seems to me that, at a minimum, one has to acknowledge, however we got to here, here is uh, an untenable security situation for the Israelis, who clearly have the upper hand militarily, and a, Palest- a Palestinian population that's the closest thing they have to a government is a terrorist organization that mm-hmm. doesn't care about them at all. No. I don't know how you do business in a situation like that. You certainly can't normalize relations completely and let all all uh trade flow across the borders and certainly every every person who wants to to just simply cross the border at at their own um uh, initiative. Like one actually has to maintain security. You are you are in the midst of an ongoing conflict even if there are periods where the tensions aren't as high as they are right now. Um, mm. And for that, you need actual partners politically that you can negotiate with. You need partners in the region who are, aren't likely to, to start to pay um, and finance um, militants from other parts of the region to start launching rockets arbitrarily um, into civilian populated areas. Um, I mean, that's, that's the current state of affairs. And one just has to acknowledge the complicated messy security situation that actually is the problem that needs to be solved here. I mean, Israel simply isn't going to disappear tomorrow. There's no, it's not disappearing at all. It's just not going to be from the river to the sea. That won't happen to the extent you're chanting that in the streets. You are calling for bloodshed. Of course. That's, that's, I mean, that's, it's exactly what it is. I mean, if, if, if left alone, you, you end up with a situation that is serious which is, you know, expansion of settlements in the West Bank, et cetera. And I think most of those people are messianic nutbags and they have to be dealt with, right? And that's a problem, right? But it's a problem that I'm probably more on the side of some of these people that I argue against in general on the, the broader issue of Israel. So I'm probably more on their side on that one. But, you know, if you allow um, the, the borders to be porous, if you allow free movement of people between um, Gaza and Israel and the West Bank and Israel, I mean, what do Israelis think about? They think about the Second Intifada. I mean, the Second Intifada was was unreal. I mean, it was buses blowing up every day, sometimes two a day. Mm. Suicide bombers in pizza shops, suicide bombers in hotels, suicide bombers everywhere. I mean, this was just this bloodletting that you had to respond to, which was build the wall 
around the West Bank and try to control the situation there. It's like, oh, you're walling people in. There's a in 2017, there's a Al Jazeera segment. I think I sent you guys. I might have. Uh, it's just an Al Jazeera segment, Al Jazeera segment about a new mall in Gaza City. And it's like this really high end, really nice. And it's like all these kids sitting around eating in food courts and there's shops everywhere. And it's like, that's what Gaza could be. And that's what Gaza during, you know, it's, it's uh, time as a, an open air prison or a concentration camp to quote uh, Norman Finkelstein. It's like, I don't recall a lot of concentration camps that had malls in them or food courts. And I also don't recall the ability of people in a concentration camp in say Poland to shoot rockets at Berlin. They didn't have that capability. It's a, a, a loathsome comparison because it allows people yet again to, and the most offensive thing you can do is so many people who commit genocide, there's so many people who do terrible things. So why do people constantly compare Israel to the Nazis? Because is, is there anything more offensive to the people that escaped Nazism to have uh, in 1948 found the, the, the only uh, Jewish state in the world, and the only Jewish state there will ever be, I suspect, and to compare them to their tormentors is something that I think is a very, very low way of arguing in the fact that people constantly say this strip of land is the equivalent of a concentration camp. Get a fucking grip and stop like, you know, defaming the memories of people who were in actual concentration camps and tortured to death and died at, you know, 50 pounds, 60 pounds when they collapsed. It's, it's I think it's just gross. Camille, you referenced the original sin of displacing families um, in 1947 and 1948, the Nabka, um, and I don't remember what the original number of displaced families were. They since grew, but it was you know, in the six figures. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Michael was just talking about Nazis. It's it's worth mentioning, and I think uh, we did in a recent members only. Um, at the end of wars, especially cataclysmic wars. Uh, mm -hmm. And especially ones that are brought on by the other side that just lost. Um, bad things happen to the other side that just lost that initiated wars with people, including with, uh, I don't know, Nazi Germany. I mean, there were 2 million Germans who were ethnically cleansed from mm -hmm. Western Czechoslovakia, from Bohemia, um, the Sudetenlands, um, in, uh, in the, right after 1945, six, seven um, and it was a traumatic thing. There was an entire like German set of politics that were built on the people who were mad about that. They literally had their property displaced. They had been integrated into Czechoslovak life um, during the interwar period. And uh, of course, then they, you know, Hitler needed some Lebensraum uh, specifically for them. Um, and so then it became pretty problematic for the Czechs. But this was a a strong and kind of brutal. And Václav Havel ended up apologizing for it, much to the chagrin of nationalist politicians in, in the Czech Republic, um, uh, apologizing for the brutality of it because a lot of Germans died in, in that march. But you also just lost a war. You just lost a war where your claims of the war had to do with, hey, we're here, you're in our way, we need more breathing space. So we're going to use that as uh, a reason to go and kill you and take your land. Um, people who of whom you say we're going to kill you and take your land um, tend to not like be really favorable uh, about the settlement terms afterwards. And um, 
that's not an excuse. As I said, Havel uh, apologized for that. Um, and a lot of that post-war period of uh, population resettlements were absolutely brutal all throughout Europe. Um, mm-hmm. um, but it is enduringly odd that um, the one of the literal like tens of millions of people or, or the or the conflicts and the resettlement and the population shifts of tens of millions of people around the globe between the years 1945 and let's say 1950. Um, there's one of those left that we still talk mm-hmm. about, and it's this one. And that is because um, there wasn't a permanent settlement that the losers agreed to. Right. They and, didn't and, and ever that, agree with it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and look, I, I don't even know that it's a matter of placing blame here. Like the reality from my standpoint is that we have people that are in some instances generations removed from what you just described. And you can have two families um, on opposite sides of the the borders here who essentially claim like the same parcel of land as their as their home. And both of whom have lived there for periods over the course of the last few decades. Like I don't know how you adjudicate that easily. And you that's don't. especially hard to adjudicate in a circumstance where there is a, a tremendous risk of violence if you try and approach normalization today. There's just no prospect for quickly unraveling this. And there's certainly no, no prospect for, you know, again, Israel disappearing and tomorrow a wand being raised and there being some new uh, government there that everyone uh, in the region respects. Um, it's, it's just, it's horrendously complicated, but the principal obstacle to normalization, it seems to me today are, um, terrorist organizations who will cross borders and maraud and murder and kidnap and execute and maim and rape. Um, and the, the military, the military response to that is predictable. It's also the desired outcome of the, the terrorists that were just described. Terrorism doesn't, that's the reality. The incredible thing about this is terrorism doesn't work, and yet they insist on this being their way of approaching a hundred plus, maybe two thousand year old problem. Because you can get small victories when you're a terrorist, right? But those victories tend to neutralize losses from terrorism. For instance, you can have people released in a prisoner exchange, which is a form of terrorism, taking children killing their parents, et cetera. And then you get, th- that's a victory. But the, the, your, the victory that you're claiming is over a loss because of terrorism. The people that are in prison are there for terrorist defenses. There's no way that this is going to work. It's, it just won't. It hasn't in, in, in history. I mean, you've had these you know, amazing events like 9-11 or you know, Aldoro Moro, the prime minister of Italy being killed by terrorists, or you know, various Alfred Herrhausen, these various industrialists being killed in Germany, et cetera. But what has this ever done? Has it done anything like revolutions can work? Terrorism within a structure like, you know, the Middle East or, or in Israel. I mean, there's no person who's grown up somewhere in Israel, was born in Israel, is Jewish, was, you know, b- born in a kibbutz, a, you know, some, you know, any town, Tel Aviv, whatever it might be, who says, um, yeah, I'm going to give this up. It's the only thing they know. It's that, but because something from 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 70 years ago, I don't think that that is a realistic prospect. And they know that that's not a realistic I, prospect. I think that there's an important caveat there, and it is also applies to Israel. Um, 
which is that terrorism can work if you are indigenous to the region and your terrorism is focused on the imperial overseer of that region. Those, I don't consider that terrorism, though. No, okay. I, so if, if no, no, but I don't like if you are if you are attacking the military in well, if you're attacking military <laughs> infrastructure, that's different. I mean that 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 is a much harder argument when you're saying mm -hmm. that these are people that are attacking military installations from. I mean, you know, if if you blow up the King David Hotel, as the Irgun did, and kill ninety odd people, ninety one, ninety two people, that is an act of terrorism. You're trying to drive the imperial forces out, but you're killing people in a hotel who don't have anything. You attack a military base, then that's a different conversation, right? But mm -hmm. if you start killing civilians at the point of terrorizing them into leaving, people tend to um, cite one example only, and it's South Africa. But the the you know ANC's military wing. They killed 60 people, I think 50 or 60 people in the entire stretch. And they claimed um, that, you know, they made mistakes, but they tried to warn people, et cetera. It was still terrorism. But what, what brought elections in 93 or 94 um, in, in South Africa was not terrorism. That's not what brought people to the negotiating table. It was a very, very upset world and a decrepit regime of a very small number of people ruling a great number of people. That's pretty much how you get there, right? And it wasn't easy. And there was a lot of people to make excuses for that. For that. And, and one of those was Israel, by the way, um, that, that was, was far too uh, cozy with P.W. Bota and those people in mm. the, the ANC regime. That's not something that they should be proud of. But, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, Mandela, by the way, after he's released from prison, very quickly is in Cuba hugging, hugging Castro. Everybody has a lot of baggage in this stuff. But terrorism, mm -hmm. I don't know what they believe that this will create in the long run. Beyond, you know, I mean, look, I, why stop doing it when you get the world sympathy, despite being absolute fucking animals in the way they conducted this October 7th operation? And by the way, you can clip that out of context and say, oh, you're saying Palestinians. No, I'm saying the people of nope. Hamas that were there were, <laughs> were animals. And as I've said before, I don't believe it's a good, a good comparison because animals can sometimes be nice and mm -hmm. lie on your lap while you're watching a movie. But I just I think that that th this stuff is. Um, you know, and, and one final thing before we move on is just, I'm not, it, it sounds like a French goodbye, but it's going to be two sentences. The one thing that we always forget about and don't talk about, and for some reason, this is everybody at the moment, is the ideology of these groups. Hamas is an Islamist group that wants to see the destruction of Israel, incites the Quran, incites the Hadiths. And you can say that that's a bastardization of the Quran. That's fine. But the conversation is not being had. Because if there were white nationalists going around for Nazi reasons, killing Jews in America, I think we'd probably be having a lot of conversations about white nationalism. And we don't have these conversations about Islamism. Mm. Mm. I promised it would be short, and I was. <laughs> that bit, anyway. Camille's just trying to figure out how to well, uh, tie I'm, that into a car crash in Niagara Falls. but <laughs> I wasn't, actually. Um, I don't. I don't know that there's much to say about that car crash. At the, I don't at the think moment, there is. Right? It looks like it a car sounds crash. like a car crash. Yeah, at least it doesn't seem that there's any direct implications of uh, sort of terroristic intent there. I mean, I there's one thing know. you can say about it. The yeah. Chris Christie had a pretty good fucking tweet slamming Vivek Ramaswamy. Oh, oh really? That. What? You, what no. else? Yeah, Vivek was like, he was like, you know, um, Chris Christie said recently that the northern border is not something we should pay attention to, or something to that effect. And he's like, you know, and, and, and notice that he's very silent 
in this and Christy responded that, you know, like I've uh, been in law enforcement and done terrorism stuff and I just know to wait. <laughs> and it's just like to see what happens, you fucking fool. So that was pretty funny. I was I happy to see that, that. Uh, Dr. Ben Carson, Camille's uh, spiritual godfather. Yeah. Wow. Came wow. out and tingly said, fingers, <laughs> gifted ads. Yeah. That that one's good too. Came yeah. out and basically Put said, like, Pornhub. I always yeah. told you we got to look out for that northern border. And that's why we need. <laughs> that's why we need to. What uh, do you expect from him, Matt Welch? He's a brain back, surgeon. Come on, uh, back Donald that Trump. That I still can't believe. <laughs> no, I, I cannot my, believe he's a brain surgeon. My favorite moment. I've always of, thought he needed brain surgery. He always sounded a little slow. <laughs> my favorite moment of Ben Carson was not even the seventy-five times he compared Obamacare to Nazi Germany, but uh, when obviously. He was, when yeah. he was asked at a uh, debate about like sealing the uh, uh, southern border, he's like, uh, "We're not, not just we're not just going to seal the southern border. We're going to seal the northern border and then <laughs> seal the the western and eastern borders too with oceans. We're just going <laughs> to seal all of it. We're going like, to get like some epoxy, just like some spray foam. I don't know what. It's just going to yeah fucking seal that shit." Yeah, uh, Camille, do you have handy? Um, and I'm going to send you if you don't uh -oh. the uh, clip of our favorite people um, over at Morning Yo, um, Morning Joe, oh. uh, Joe uh, Scarborough, who was once a uh, Republican <laughs> member of Congress <laughs> and now is just a total jerk off. I don't know. I mean, so oftentimes. Being a Republican member of Congress is being a total jerk off, but this um, this uh, is a different level because he's been. I mean, this is kind of audience capture, isn't it? I mean, somebody who's like a conservative his whole life and then becomes, um, you know, this guy, the guy that's on MSNBC. At some point, well, it, it, this it, man must face accountability, or we all suffer. Well, it certainly does, and 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 people in the media have a responsibility to to really to tune out the voices. Of of the haters of of the people that are constantly uh, double shilling and triple checking and shilling for him and suggesting Sick. that somehow they're being biased, Sick. bending over backwards, treating him like a normal candidate. <gasps> where where He's were not they a in 2016? He is yeah. running to end American democracy as we oh, know it. Okay, He's an authoritarian who a, a court uh, in in Colorado two days ago ruled that that he led an insurrection against the United States government. He's charged with leading schemes to help overthrow the United States government. So so if they want to frame it uh, that way, that's fine. If, if you want to be fair, no, he's if leading you want to be fair, then you will frame this uh, as uh, Joe Biden being the candidate that supports American democracy and Donald Trump, a candidate who supports a new form of government here that's authoritarian. It's really that simple. And by the way, Reverend now when people go, oh, you can't compare him he to past Nazi leaders. Oh. You can't compare him to this past Nazi leader or what? that past fascist leader what? because he hasn't done that. Well, what hasn't he done? He hasn't done the things that the American judicial system did not allow him to do last time, but may very well allow him to do this time or... Trump? A judicial system that will be ignored by Donald Trump. It's about, it's about to get good. Over by Donald yeah. Trump. 
to create the greatest constitutional crisis of our lifetimes. Just because he hasn't done it yet doesn't mean he won't do it when he gets a chance to do it. And if he is voted into office, then a lot of these people that are talking about literal or figurative or whatever the hell they're saying, you're going to look like idiots uh, because he will do he will get away with, he will imprison, he will execute whoever he's allowed to imprison, execute, uh, 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 drive from the country. Just look at his past. (laughs) It's not really hard to read. Again, the only thing that stood between him (laughs) and the destruction of American democracy was the federal judiciary. You mean was American democracy? I, I gotta say, uh, those of you, we're listening, you're just listening to this. There is a, sp- <laughs> there's a split screen and it's, it's, uh, Joe Scarborough and Mika, like the, like wine mom, like, like they look like they're from Westchester and they're really annoying at your party, like just going <laughs> off. And then on the other screen is Al Sharpton, like looking like someone let the air out of him, like literally. <laughs> and he's just, I mean, even Al Sharpton's like, what? <laughs> you nuts. That nuts. That he's going to execute whoever he wants to execute, man. But by anyone, the way, is the judiciary going to prevent him from executing? Yeah, but yeah. are they going to go away, according to Joe Scarborough? He's the courts that stop they'll, they'll be ignored, is what he said. They'll be ignored by Donald Trump. Oh, they'll Trump. be ignored. That's how yeah. it works. It's just yeah. that simple, right? Because he keeps on saying it's that simple. These people are out of their minds. I'm sorry to say this, but like, does that resonate with anyone in America? Or does that suggest to you listening to that, that Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski have to get the fuck out of that studio? Because talk about this is, you know, audience capture is they sit in that studio in MSNBC, the people who helped bring Donald Trump into the mainstream and into the presidency. Gleefully for a long time. Yeah. Yes. And now they're um, trying to, it's like Howard Stern being like super woke now because he's afraid that people are going to resurface him in blackface. That's kind of <laughs> what that, like you just go really hard in the other direction. The but he's going to execute people who he disagrees with. So The thing that I uh, found myself reflecting on when watching this uh, both times is that I can like broadly agree with 75% of the point. In, mm-hmm. in There's sense, a case to be made. <laughs> like take out the Nazism and take out the fascism, take out that he will uh, execute and drive out of the country. All of these people, let's just like, take that out for a second. Um, the point that um, the only reason he didn't do as bad as he could have is because there were institutional blockages, especially the court system, I believe is a true point. Um, I, I think that uh, people underestimated most likely we, on this podcast, underestimated probably the two of you guys more than me. Um, uh, underestimated like how far he would try to go after losing the election. Um, like it's shocking, um, and that if there had been more gutless fucking nobody drunkards on the Republican side ready to trade their entire lifetime's worth of reputation and work in government service to just like do whatever crazy shit Donald Trump says. Um, you know, it, if it could have been just a few more and then life would have looked a lot different, right? That's a point to be made. And that if you elect him again, the first thing that he's going to do is to do the sweeping, uh, civil service 
reform and gut that and install loyalists and just imagine the type of talent that's going to be sitting around ready to go. <laughs> like yeah. how It's going to be a Seb Gorka fucking palooza. At, don't at don't the, you think that these people should be on camera like shaming Democrats every day and urging them to run somebody else against well, yeah. Donald Trump? Wouldn't yeah. that be like the smart thing to do rather than just you know, belly aching about Hitler all the time. You're supposed to browbeat, uh, like follow the the Twitter account of Jay Rosen, the professor at NYU, um, what he's doing right now. And he's gone through very, uh, and I'm friendly with Jay over the years. Um, he's gone through several cycles of kind of like marketing terms that are designed to browbeat the press into behaving differently. And the one that he's doing right now is like, it's not about odds. It's about stakes. And so, um, not, not like that. Yeah, that'll really delicious. resonate with people. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, mean, just meaning that like the job of political journalism right now is to tell people over and over again, that American democracy is at stake. It's not mm-hmm. to tell them, um, oh, you know, Trump's polling pretty high. Um, and that's interesting or that Biden is polling pretty low. Cause he's super fucking old. He's 81. <laughs> oh my God. Did you guys yeah. see the sweet meteor of death tweet today? Uh, um, which is congratulations to Joe Biden. Uh, today for tying the all-time record for longest-serving <laughs> Catholic president. Oh, <laughs> oh wow, that's really amazing! Oh my yeah. God, was that amazing? Wow, um, that's yes. a pretty good one, I gotta say. Oh man, there is a point. There is a point about what they all say, which uh, again, which is sort of uh, which resonates that Trump might do the bad thing, um, and their solution is to say Trump might do the bad thing louder. Like, finally, can we finally call him fascist? That's going to do the trick, because I think that Americans haven't been hearing that enough from their media this whole time. Um, Camille, can you uh, play that clip um, that I just sent you? This is uh, because I just want to I want to put this in there just because this is within 24 hours on the same network. And this is somebody who I've interviewed before, actually, um, former Missouri Senator Claire McCaskill who has, uh, and this is what, I mean, she was perfectly normal and fine when I, when I interviewed her and it was about kind of Trump stuff. Um, and she wasn't being crazy about it. Claire, Donald Trump warning about the threat from within in actuality. He's the leader of the actual threat, the real threat coming from within. I know I do not need to convince you of that. Is that but a we question? We heard Christopher Ray <laughs> said that domestic violent extremism, biggest threat to the homeland, the latest DHS terrorism warning bulletin from May saying in the coming months, factors that could mobilize individuals to commit violence include their perceptions of the 2024 general election cycle <laughs> this, this and legislative May. or judicial decisions pertaining to socio-political issues. He is the one stoking fear. He is the one stoking violence around this country. I don't know, Claire, if it is irony or audacity that he would talk about the threat from within. (laughs) Well, it's a little of both. Um, But let me even bring in uh, what I think is also a very dangerous thread to this conversation. A lot of people have tried to draw similarities between Mussolini and Hitler and the use of the terminology like vermin and the, the, the drive that those men had towards autocracy and and dictatorship. The difference, though, I think makes Donald Trump even more dangerous, and that is he has no philosophy he believes in. (laughs) He is not trying to expand the boundaries of the United States of America. He's not trying to overcome a neighboring country like Ukraine. He is not (laughs) going for some grandiose scheme of international dominance. All he wants is to look in the mirror and see 
a guy who's president. Wait, it doesn't seem so bad. Actually, wait a second. What, I mean, what the it's fuck worse, is wrong with these people? It's worse than Hitler. Worse than Mussolini. Hitler would have been worse if he would have been in the mirror as opposed to what? murdering all the people. So, so what she's saying is, it's not anti-Semitism or anything like that. No. It's just pure vanity. It's vanity. And that's what you actually have to fear. The, the problem is Donald Trump doesn't want to expand the country in a <laughs> war that will kill a hundred million people. Right. You know, there's that, a silver lining. That makes him that makes him more dangerous <laughs> that he doesn't want to launch a world war. And oh, by the way, God. we have gone from the Hitler and Mussolini comparisons. I'm sure Claire McCaskill knows a lot about both, but we've gone from those comparisons to saying that, you know what? Those don't even cut it anymore. He's worse than that. Why is he worse? I don't know because he's not doing the bad things that Hitler did. That would be better. I'm sorry. What? And by the way, is she sitting in a fucking hotel lobby? Where is she? Yeah. You can't see that people. I think that's a comfort in if I'm not mistaken. Or in her home. You don't, you don't know. I mean, if she has that big of a home, then something is wrong with this country. Well, but, yeah. Uh, this is literally <laughs> what you get on cable news now. You know, do you remember in the, in the 2000s, uh, Robert Greenwald and all these people making endless documentaries about the nonsense that people were saying on Fox News? Yeah. It was just endless, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is there anyone going to, t- to make a, a sort of documentary or just a compilation of just the Hitler stuff. If any listener wants to do a supercut of just Hitler and Mussolini and fascism, you can use fascism too, um, because these people obviously don't know what that is. And I find it like really hard. And I would, look, I was saying before, I find it offensive that people compare Gaza to a concentration camp, not the nice place to live, obviously not a concentration camp. But this kind of stuff is saying that Donald Trump is worse than Adolf Hitler is so deranged to, as to make me wonder if this woman, Claire McCaskill, has any idea what happened from ni- 1933 to 1945, if she even knows what those dates are. I think the, the original- astonishing irony of these people insisting that Donald Trump is stoking fear and he's creating hysteria. And look <laughs> yes, at this. Exactly, there, there are reports exactly. that suggest that next year there could be violence. It's, it's as if they don't remember that shortly after Donald Trump was re- inaugurated, there was a mass shooting <laughs> in, <laughs> in D.C., inspired in part by precisely this kind of hysterical rhetoric that's you are literally engaged in the thing that you're insisting is so terrible also is there a a lot of the the crazy woman who's some kind of anchor and certainly no kind of journalist is saying that the there's violence all throughout the country right now inspired and stoked by Donald Trump or something to that effect. Is that, am I missing something? Yes. Like I, I know I January know. 6th, like we know what happened there. And we've talked about that ad infinitum on this podcast, mm-hmm. but beyond that, I mean, what is the, is there, know. is there a lot? I There's don't know. 340 fucking million people in this country. I mean, I mean, the, uh, the, your framing originally Moynihan, I think is the correct one, which is that there used to be a time when morning Joe, when, when Joe Scarborough used to be a Republican, that was an interesting time, yeah. as did Nicole <laughs> Wallace and a bunch of those people. Uh, it's as if they responded to incentives. But um, where they would have people who weren't Democrats, who weren't like inv- the questions to a panelist might not just be, I mean, fucking Donald Trump, right? Yeah. Can like, you believe <laughs> it? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, Michael, yeah. you and I both have been on uh, the CNN uh, late night programming at various points, um, uh, mm-hmm. maybe not as frequently in recent months. Um, and uh, about, uh, I wouldn't say half the questions to us, but certainly if you're watching the programming in the green room, 
about half the discussions, and I, and I feel comfortable uh, in saying that, and I would say that to them in person too, is that's the setup. Like on this segment is can either can you believe Donald Trump or can you believe Republicans for liking Donald mm. Trump? And again, I have a lot of sympathy for especially that latter one, but for both on, uh, on in general. Uh, however, if you are doing a, uh, I don't know, a, a, like a political journalism show, there's got to be different <laughs> ways to talk about this, right? Yeah. Like uh, some yeah. explorations of like, uh, yeah. if you can't believe it, try to understand it or or some other kind of thing or, or dial your outrage in a different direction. But just sort of this like, you know, uh, underhanded toss to people um, of, uh, of, of just assuming that everyone around assembled around the table is going to have the same basic opinion and are just going to use different yeah. adjectives for it. Um, I, I, you're not going to get smarter in that way. This, this is a very good point and it's something to, to not forget. And it's something that you get so used to that you do forget it. And I guess, I, I mean, if I were to put, to give it a phrase, what this reminds me of, and particularly that setup, that question is sort of political primal scream. This is like primal scream yeah. therapy mm. for people. They're mm. just yelling at the top of their lungs and making themselves feel better and adding nothing of value to the political discourse. There's nothing in that question or in that response that is enlightening, illuminating in any way to anyone who cares about politics at all, even somebody who doesn't know anything about politics. If they're coming in a blank slate, what, it, what you're getting vague things about how Donald Trump is stoking violence. And he said a word like vermin. Um, and you know, which moron, is the same I, word that another bad person said once. Who's that? <laughs> like, no, oh, Hitler. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Nazis were called. Yeah, but it's like I actually I have a friend who I really like who has gone through a a, a political transformation, um, going from crazy to far less crazy, and he used that word. And he's a man. This was when he was very much on the left, um, in relation to somebody Jewish, too. And he's a very mainstream figure. Um, but I don't want to call him out because I really like him. Um, and I don't think anyone's noticed this, but that is, people have said this in the past. It doesn't mean that this person is akin to Adolf Hitler. Now, mm -hmm. obviously there's other things that they think that Donald Trump does that are Hitlerian, which is a very, very lazy and stupid comparison because what no one ever does when they talk about fascism, when they talk about Nazism, they don't make any direct comparisons. You know what this reminds me of within the framework of fascism? X. Why right. never happens. It's just, this is a bad word. This is a political pejorative and I'm mm -hmm. in my primal scream and I'm going to start shouting that people are Nazis and, you know, Mussolini supporters and the rest of it. The way that the Nazis seized power, the way that they maintained power um, through terror, um, through shutting down media organizations, Donald Trump can want to do that. Um, he's never said that I want to shut this down and I'm going to do it. He's might have said this in this millions of hours that he gives these speeches offhandedly that these people are the enemies of the people and that's Nazi like, et cetera. No, 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 no. The, the rhetoric from somebody who lies and bullshits constantly and is doing a comedy bit half the time can only be, you know, matched by action, you know? Mm -hmm. And if he's matching that with action, yeah, sure, you can denounce it. But when you start saying things like Nazism, this is just like fascism, then some sort of movement towards action has to happen. January 6th, by the way, if that was coordinated by the Nazi party, would have ended in mass bloodshed, as yeah. it did in 1923 yeah. in the Beer Hall Putsch when they had no, you know, no, and this is what Hitler ends up in prison writing Mein Kampf in Landesburg prison after the Beer Hall Putsch on November 9th, 1923. There's a handful of guys with rifles. People died. Lots of people died. 
and there was no sense that they were actually going to take take control of the government. And the Night of the Long Knives in 1934, when they're solidifying power, number of people, Nazis that they killed, you know, Ernst Röhm and all the people in the SA, they kill them, they purge on their own party. At the same time, they're arresting, killing people of the Social Democratic Party, of the Communist Party. Jews are starting to be pushed out of society. And then you have the Nuremberg Laws and that, that basically codify into law that Jews are no longer citizens of the Reich. Does any of that sound familiar to you? No, it doesn't. And there's a reason it doesn't sound familiar to, to you, because as bad as you think Donald Trump was, or as bad as he actually was, he never did any of that stuff. Well, he, maybe he wanted to. Well, he didn't. And that's the important thing. <laughs> He's aspirationally Hitlerian. Well, I don't even bother that, but okay. But that's, you know, on TV for fucking seven years, devaluing the word fascism and the experiences of people that actually had to live through fascism. My only response to that is fuck you. Honestly, fuck you. It's a, it's a horrible to the memory of people that actually had to live through fascism. There's a journalistic value to, to add on the question in the direction that they want, which is what are his plans? What are his concrete mm -hmm, plans? Sure. Who are his concrete ally, allies? What are they preparing? Um, yeah. And some people have been doing that work. Washington Post and the Atlantic have both done some things recently about that. That's interesting. That's tangible. Um, mm -hmm, and it's sure. more than just yeah. vibes and it's more than just mm -hmm. adjectives and, and, and insults. Um, it'd be a lot more effective, I predict. Yes, it's also a little bit more demanding. Um, and and when their their raison d'etre is you can't take this man seriously, so you have to imagine him as the worst possible thing, the the evil actual evil incarnate, and you have to disregard all of the many reasons he seems to appeal to a massive segment of the population. <laughs> you have to you have to deny those those potential factors. However, whatever they may be, however legitimate they may be, um, in favor, in service of uh, a mythology that says that people are simply being motivated by a fascistic impulse and white supremacy and some other malevolent desires that are buried deep in their hearts that make yeah. them refuse to vote for and love and admire Joe Biden um, in whatever state of decay he's in um, and instead choose the other guy. Like mm -hmm. literally at the moment, the only other guy who seems likely to be on the ticket next November. Like that's it, what's happening here. Yeah, 100%. And you, you and refuse to take him seriously. And you did that once before. And we actually saw how that worked out for you people. Why don't they have these people on? John Judas, a socialist. I'm holding a book up right now. Where have all the Democrats gone? Um, worth reading. I interviewed them for um, Honestly, um, Barry Weiss's podcast, would, I guess will be up in a couple of weeks or something. John Judas and Rui Teixeira, um, two men of the left, uh, Judas much more so of the left, Rui Teixeira has been an observer and they, they wrote a book um, that was uh, an echo of, of uh, what was the coming Republican majority that Kevin Phillips mm. wrote in 70 something, 68, 69. And then they did a coming Democratic majority, which they argue, and I think, very justifiably argue that everything was really going in the direction that they had predicted. This is in 2002. They wrote this book that this, everything is trending towards Democrats. And the argument in this book is like, okay, so where did that, where did that go wrong? And where it went wrong was the fact that people like Claire McCaskill and these idiots on MSNBC who were just talking about how you love a fascist, you love a Nazi and Rui Teixeira and John Judas make the argument of like, no, no, you just kind of abandoned the working class and you went so far on cultural issues 
that it just really turned people off. That's one of the arguments that they make. There's a number of arguments that they make. But that would, as Camille says, would demand some sort of, you know, um, attention to detail, some sort of wrestling with the truth and rather than just calling people deplorables and trying to figure out what happened with these people. I think I was probably guilty of that too at one point, but it didn't take me long to get out there and realize that there were some real concerns uh, that people had that weren't being addressed by Democrats who they, you know, thought were their champions for many years and, you know, voted for Obama a couple of times and then went to Donald Trump in, mm -hmm. you know, these people on television saying, well, you love Benito Mussolini. You love fascism. I, I don't know who that, if that makes anyone feel good or, or make is, is clarifying for anyone beyond the sort of political primal scream of Claire McCaskill. It's also a function, I think, of a weird uh, moment that we live in, which is that Donald Trump is not in the news. Yeah, he like he hasn't been in the news for about five or six weeks, seven weeks. He's not, which going. is kind of weird because he's got like twenty two court cases. <laughs> At some point, you get exhausted like a, and you don't pay he's attention. He's like a rapper. Yeah, he's I really, got a lot of court cases. I, I can I can identify with the frustration on some level because like, dude is still out polling everybody by forty percentage points in the Republican primary. He's gonna be the next nominee unless he croaks. Um, probably and crushing DeSantis in Florida, just crushing Crazy. him. Crazy. Crushing. But yeah. like, otherwise is kind of not in the headlines and, uh, Joe Biden, because there are many crises right now, he is in the headlines. And, um, and so Trump benefits from that. If he's not, if, if people are not reminded on a near regular basis of all the many reasons, good, solid American reasons why they don't like <laughs> Donald Trump, um, <laughs> Then yeah, sure he's going to be plausible. Do, do you suspect Matt that this is a strategy? You think because I I thought about to that. Get, but I'm wondering get if Trump elected. Yeah, no, on his part or on his team's part. Are you saying that he did October seventh? Because that's that's yeah, pretty strong. No, the, the the stepping back and like literally opening his mouth on October eighth or ninth and being like, you know, Netanyahu, he was pretty bad to me, and it's like, dude, dude, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. And after that, he's basically said nothing. He said a few positive things about. Netanyahu and Israel, but like, it seems like maybe somebody advised them to, you know, you're doing a lot better if you keep your mouth shut. I mean, not participating in the debates, which is tactically the correct yeah, decision very, yeah, exactly, um, yeah. is, uh, is super helpful. I think, yeah, um, yeah. beyond that, I don't, I doubt that anyone advising Trump, Hey, you know what? Keep a low profile. I don't think they're going to win that argument. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a great idea. Yeah, the news <laughs> has now. subsumed him uh, for a while, but I also think that that has created a sense of of, uh, of uh, pendulum swing panic. Um, so right now, um, there's a lot of people taking very seriously, uh, you know, swing state polls that show Trump is beating Biden in a lot of places, and I suppose that's plausible. But I think it's also in an atmosphere where He's not being shoved in our faces uh, that much. We're not daily reminded of all of his faults. We're going to be reminded of those a lot more next year um, yeah. than we yeah. are right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it's uh, pretty late. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah. I know we've all got got plans. We'll we'll be off eating. Uh, I've got another day here on the the East Coast before I leave uh, for uh, to return to California. Um, but it was a pleasure to spend some time with you both this evening. Um, it was always, a, always a pleasure. You going to make a <laughs> Jamaican turkey? I'm not making anything. I don't cook. I don't cook Deep at fry. all. That's, that's women's work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, you're both Jamaican and a Seventh-day Adventist. I think you're probably being serious about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Damn. my Lord. You don't think Dr. Ben Carson is using those gifted that. fingers to... Uh, Put stuffing yeah. into the turkey hole. Yeah, yeah. Oh Dirty fists, Matt, whatever it's called. Oh <laughs> I didn't name the book. I just read it. I didn't read it actually. No, you I did not. Never, I've, yeah, I've, I've read it. it. I've read yeah, your mother gave it to you multiple right? times. Multiple that in public books. on stage at the church. Multiple books. Yeah. That, that is not how that happened. Not at all. Yeah. Actually. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I mean, it's only you, so far off. You ended up a little, copies, yes. You ended up a little more like him than she imagined. I, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. It means you're accused Obama of being a Nazi all the time, right? <laughs> I seem to remember that from back in the day. No, I, I don't. don't I don't remember that. Not once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, man. you are our Ben Carson, Camille. <laughs> <laughs> Forever, Forever and, and always. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Please seal my board. The Siamese twins. <laughs> Could the join twins join yeah. the brain? Yeah, uh, did, are those, are, the did anyone ever follow up with that? Are they still alive? Uh, did he like, do think, a good job? I think they, I think he did do a good job. He went on oh. to live uh, a good. They went on to live a uh, good, healthy, happy lives. I'm going to presume that's true. Someone, someone, I, don't tell yeah. me. Don't tell me if that didn't happen. I want to believe it. Yeah. Um. But I, I don't know. I don't think that counts for nearly as much as uh, people imagine. I think he got a heck of a lot of mileage out of that. And yeah. You know, maybe he's just an okay brain surgeon who got lucky. <laughs> maybe I mean, that's what it is. I'll tell you what, I saw him in that first debate, and yeah. you couldn't have convinced me that he was a fucking chiropractor after that first debate. <laughs> I was like, nope, that guy's he's not like, a doctor. No one else will take these patients. Will you do it? He's like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> he was really like rolling a joint in his car in the parking lot. He was like, yeah, I'll do it. Do you have any qualifications? Yeah. Like, what? I don't know. I don't know what qualification is, but let me just smoke this joint. I'll be in in a second. I'm super chill. Yeah. He just Mr. Magood his way through the surgery and it, yeah. uh, it worked out. It worked, worked out. out for him. It got him all the way to the presidential debate stage. Yes. Yeah. I mean, what a life story. Yeah. I he have no idea what's going on. Sleepy Ben. <laughs> the Ben Carson yeah. story. <laughs> he was definitely sleepy Ben. That isn't true. I'm sure he's quite bright. Um, yeah, and Gifted Hands sure. really is an inspiring book that you should buy for your children, and mm. they will not learn anything about <laughs> pleasing women from it. Nah, really? I what? It, and I, I assure you, to the extent anyone has given, I assure you, I still can't impress women. It's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's not what I said. That's not what yeah, I said. Is. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Tracy can attest to my bias, no, don't, don't which even, is substantial. Don't even. Stop. Nope. Stop. Substantial. Nope. Stop it. Also make cute Stop babies. It. All right. Yeah. Bye. By the way, I just going to say, the, the, <laughs> the, for people who know Camille, you have an hour and 15 left in New York City to file your claims. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Bye. We know of Bye. new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth column. 